You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning. We're excited for the Bible, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. Mark chapter 12. We're going to be in verse 18. It is good to be with you guys this morning. Man, really good to be with you. As I, as I sit here this morning and I hear you singing and I look around, I'm just, this morning I just feel very heavily like the conviction that I don't have anything in me that will change your life. I really don't. You're all here and you have situations and the, and the messes of life and the pain. And, and I just, I'm very aware that Sam Cassis does not have any inherent ideas or thoughts or opinions that will transform your life. And so what I propose is that we all come to the source of truth, that we all come to God's word, because this will transform your life. Line by line, it is riveting, it is interesting, and it is transformative. And so I propose that for the next few moments, why don't we just come and and take a learner's posture under God's word? Can we do that? There's no soapboxes today. It's just we're all under the word, amen? Amen. So that's what we need. God, would you speak to us this morning, change our lives, and make us more like Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. What happens to us when we die? What happens to us when we die? That was the question that I was asked in kids' church by Mr. G as a five-year-old. I was five. Hardly an authority on these existential matters, would you say? But they asked the question nonetheless. And so I didn't know what I was talking about, but I was not completely ignorant. And so Mr. G, I'll never forget it. We're living in New York, New York. That's where I grew up. And he says, what happens to us when we die? And I raised my hand confidently. Never one to back down from a challenge. I don't care how old I am. I'm going to proclaim the truth. And I said, Mr. G, when we die, we all jump on a cloud. We get wings and we play a harp as we ascend to heaven. You laugh. He had the audacity to laugh at me. And he says, I don't think so. And without laughing, I said, oh, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. This is five-year-old Sam, right? I've matured a little bit in the last five years. And so I'm not good at math. But but he says to me, he goes, goes, well, how do you know that's what happened? And I proceeded to tell him the source of my truth. I said, well, I saw it when Bugs Bunny died on Looney Tunes. Anybody remember that episode? I was convinced, right? And he's playing the harp, and he goes to heaven, and the wings are there. And that was what I thought happened when you die. Friends, I don't know if the Looney Tunes reruns are still out there. I don't know if it's still alive. But I guarantee you this question is still alive. Is there life after death? Is there life? After death, every culture, every philosophy, every world religion has wrestled with the significance of death. Every human, uh, human culture and species, and I guess we're not species, but every, every people group and culture have asked the big questions pertaining to life and what comes on the other side. So regardless of your faith background, I don't know where you come from this morning. I don't know where you are on the the spectrum of beliefs, but I think we're all in the same boat. We all wrestle with these questions. When I close my eyes for the last time in this life, will I open my eyes in another life? 
after I die, is there an eternity awaiting me? Will we continue on as, as conscious souls? Will our mind endure? Will we still be aware or will we simply cease to exist? These are big questions. Is there life after death? And if there is, then how should I be living my life before death? These are big. These are questions about the afterlife. And so sometimes these, these questions, they can create a range of emotions for us, right? Like sometimes there's fear when we talk about death and what's to come. Sometimes there's uncertainty. Other times there's, there's a wonder, right? And a, and a, and a holy curiosity and, and an awe. And, and maybe even for some of you in this room, there's, there's hope. There's comfort when you think about what's to come. What happens when we die? So this morning, we're, we're going we're gonna to look at a piece of writing. It's written by Mark. We call it the book of Mark or the gospel of Mark. And Mark was like a biographer, if you will. There's like four-ish biographies about the life of Christ. And we're going to look at what he says because Mark was writing to a group of people who were very, very interested in the afterlife. And I'll tell you why. It's because they were facing imprisonment, persecution, and even the prospect of death all because they were followers of this Jesus. And so when you're facing imminent death, how many of you know that the topic of the afterlife is really relevant to you, right? Is this worth it? Is there a life to come? What am I facing here? And so he writes them this book, and he includes an episode that we're going to look at for the next few moments. He includes this episode where Jesus himself, the leader of their movement, the Lord of their lives, he weighs in on whether or not there's an afterlife. And we're going to take a look at it. You guys ready? Should we look and see? Here we go. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. This is what it says. And Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Well, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Let's pause right there and notice. Questions about the afterlife create a variety of answers, do they not? Questions about the afterlife, whether it's in ancient Israel or whether it's in East Point Church in this room, questions about the afterlife create a variety of answers. And so this morning we meet the Sadducees. Last week we saw that there were different political parties, right? People had pro-tax anti-tax, pro-Rome, anti There was different political parties. What we see this morning, not only were there political parties, they were also theological camps. They were groups of people whose beliefs, whose doctrines differed from others. And so even in the family of God, there were a variety of beliefs about what happened on the other side. And so we see one of these camps are called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, you see what they believe? That there is no resurrection. You live this life, and when it's done, it's done. 
There is no afterlife. There is nothing more to come. This is it. If you were to ask the, the Sadducees about an afterlife, they said the idea of a literal, physical resurrection, <laughs> it was absurd. Inconceivable, they would say, right? They don't believe that there is a life to come. And so we see what the Sadducees believe, right? We, we see they're at the table, and at least they've stated their beliefs. And as we're, as we're kind of introducing all the parties at the table, I'm just curious, what do you believe? What do you believe about the afterlife? Before we come and listen to Jesus, before we come and, and see what the Bible says, let's just take inventory here. Have you ever articulated your belief? You know, we start off as, as teenagers, and, and the first level of knowledge is we, just, we become aware of all the different positions. We become aware of all the players and all the voices, but there comes a point, friends, where you and I need to ask, so what do you say? What say you? Do you believe that there's an afterlife? And I'll just say this. Not everybody in this room agrees with my views on the Bible. That's okay. Not all of you agree with our views on Jesus. That's okay. You're welcome here. But let me just say this. If you're in this room and you're at least asking these big questions and you're wrestling with these big truths, I just want to say, like, I respect you. I think it is really admirable when people wrestle with truth and try to come to these conclusions about these big, big questions. And I would even say this. Jesus never minded questions, only dishonest questions. He doesn't mind your questions. He actually encourages it. He wants you to, he invites you to dig deeper and to think well, right? Jesus' answer is never, don't even try it, just believe. No, he goes, no, understand. And so I admire you, I respect you. I think Jesus respects you, and, and Jesus always invited a genuine question. But this morning, we have a little bit of a lack of genuine questions. The Sadducees are far from genuine. And so look what they do here. They want to get Jesus into the discussion. And so they believe that a literal physical resurrection was absurd. They, they thought this was silly. There's no way. And to prove their point, to drive it home, they're going to give an illustration on just how absurd a resurrection would be. And so look what they ask Jesus. They give Jesus this hypothetical situation about a, a woman who has been widowed seven times. And so in ancient times, a widow was one of the most vulnerable individuals in society, all right? And so when you're a widow and, and you're, just, you're not protected, there's no social net, right? And so a widow was vulnerable. And so Moses, listen how Moses said, he goes, in the family of God, here's how we're going to care for our widows. And so if, you, if your husband passes away, here's what we're going to do to make sure that you're not without help. The next eligible brother is going to marry the widow. He is going to take this widow, and he is going to care for her, and he's going to marry her. Wow. Not only is he going to marry her, but he's also going, if he gives her children, check this out, the children that they produce in this new marriage are not going to be his kids. He's going to consider them the children, the heirs, the offspring of his original brother. They're going to inherit his land. They're going to inherit his name. They're his sons. I was just stepping in as a proxy to make sure that my brother's line continued. They called this a kinsman redeemer. Maybe if you like reading the book of Ruth or if you like watching the movies, you know, whatever it is, a kinsman redeemer. That was Boaz, okay? And so just, I just think that's such a cool reflection of the heart of God, right? Like, yes, 
this is going to cost you a ton, but you're going to do it to look out for the most vulnerable in our society. So that, that's just an aside, but, but that's the situation that they're talking about here, okay? You have nothing to gain, and yet you're going to lay down your life. You're going to give your marriage and your children for your, for your widow, okay? But look what they said here. They tell the story, and they go, all right, Jesus, so you think there's a resurrection? Well, let me give you a hypothetical. Let me ask a question. And they say, all right, well, there was a man with his wife. He dies. They left no children. His brother marries him, just like Moses said, but then he dies, leaves no children. She doesn't have two husbands, not three, not four, not five, not six. Jesus, seven widows. Talk about bad luck, right? Seven times she's made a widow. And you can kind of see the snickering happening in the background of, <laughs> you know, they're showing Jesus. Seven times she's made a, wiz- uh, made a widow. So let me ask you this, Jesus, in the resurrection, whose wife would she be? Now, that's not a, an uninteresting question. I'm going to tune in to see what Jesus says, because we all know people who have been widowed and remarried. So I, let's put a pin in that. I, I really would like to hear about that. But just for a moment, can, can we be clear? They're not asking a question, are they? They're making a statement. Their eyebrows are not raised in humble inquiry. They're not sitting here going, yeah, Jesus, what would happen? They're going, yeah, then what? This is not a question. They've come here and they've called him teacher, but it doesn't sound like they're here to learn from Jesus. They're here to teach Jesus. And so, friends, they are coming with a posture, not of humble inquiry, but of theological arrogance. Humble inquiry says, I'm here to examine my beliefs so we can come to the truth. Theological arrogance says, I'm not here to examine my beliefs. I'm here to look down on yours. And so they are, they're they're dripping with condescension. They are smirking. They are looking down at Jesus. And they're saying to believe in a resurrection is ridiculous. That's why they they use seven seven husbands in the illustration. Two would have done it. Jesus would have gotten their point. He said, well, she died, and now she's married, so which one? They're trying to make it absurd. They go, seven, as if to say, oh, yeah? How's the resurrection going to work then? (laughs) If you're in this room and you are a follower of Jesus, if you're in this room and you're an agnostic, if you're in this room and you're atheistic, let me just say, okay, to all of my friends, as you ask the big questions of life, as you consider your beliefs. I, I don't look down on you. I certainly don't pretend that these are easy questions, but I would simply encourage you in this way. As you seek truth, allow Jesus to have a genuine voice at the table. I mean, can you do that? As you wrestle with these truths, as you consider these big questions, an honest pursuit of the truth. I mean, if you're being intellectually honest, at a minimum, you have to at least engage with the most important historical religious figure in all of the human history. So at a minimum, you got to engage with him. Don't come to him to cut him off. Come and let him speak for himself. When you come to him, come with a posture, not like the Sadducees. As you engage with Jesus... Are you coming with your mind already made up like the Sadducees? Or are you coming with humble inquiry in pursuit of truth? Will you in this room, will you give the man who turned the world upside down just as much of a chance and just as much of an audience as you do your favorite YouTube channel, as you do your favorite TikTok influencer, as you do your favorite podcast? Let 
Jesus speak? Would you be willing to come and be shown that your beliefs might be incorrect? Would you be willing to lay down your, your pet doctrines and your pet beliefs at the altar of truth, no matter how special they are to you, if Jesus showed you it was false? I just ask you. Because the Pharisees weren't. The Pharisees were not here in the honest pursuit of truth. They were here to prove a point. Jesus, whose wife would she be? So Jesus, he's not one to back down from a challenge, is he? Jesus, the one who is the truth, is not here to be intimidated by these Sadducees. So let's look at his response, verse 24. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you're wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised... Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. <laughs> Jesus, I love it. He says it very clearly. To deny a resurrection is quite wrong. There's wrong, and then there's quite wrong. You know what I'm talking about? There's wrong, and then there's like, you missed it. And he says to them, you are quite wrong. He hears their case study, and he says, you're wrong. Sometimes we just need to be told we're wrong, don't we, right? You ever, you ever just have that? You take one on the chin, it's like, you're wrong. You're, I'm wrong. We can be wrong. They're wrong. There is a resurrection. He says here, he goes, when they rise from the dead, not if, not hypothetically speaking, if the people in your illustration would rise. No, no, he goes, hey, when she rises from the dead, when all seven of those husbands rise from the dead, when, not if. Jesus is not hypothesizing here. He is confidently asserting there is an afterlife. There is life after death. You are wrong. And the reason you're wrong is because you neither know the power of God nor the scriptures. He goes to their whiteboard where they're doing all their math and he, and he erases it all and he goes, no, let's start over. Here's why you're wrong. Number one, you don't know the power of God. Number two, you don't know the scriptures. That should be a warning to us. It's possible to try and form our views about God without actually knowing God. It's possible to form our doctrine and to answer these big picture questions. It's possible to try and figure out what we believe about God and ultimate reality without actually letting him speak for himself. And if we do that, try to form an opinion about God without knowing God, try to answer questions about God without listening to what he said, I mean, we are bound to come to wrong conclusions. That's like you in this room saying, yeah, I know Sam's wife. Oh, yeah, you know, Destiny, she's awesome. She does this, she does that. And it's like, you don't know my wife. You are in no position to speak on what she's like, right? Keep my wife's name out of your mouth. You don't know her, and you're going to try to write a book on her? Not only do you not know her, you're going to ignore her autobiography that she revealed about herself. Do you get it? We in this room, as we wrestle, as we try to figure out what we believe, hear the warning. You can try to figure out who God is without knowing him. 
You can try to form beliefs and sound really smart and come up with all of our data while ignoring his self-revelation. And so Jesus explains where their math went wrong. He says, number one, here's where you missed it. Here's where you were wrong in your problem. Number one, in the resurrection, there is no marriage. In the resurrection, we won't practice marriage. When that woman rises from the dead, when her seven husbands rise from the dead, when you and me rise from the dead, we will not practice marriage. We will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Men will no longer propose. Jewelry stores will go out of business. Women will no longer be walked down the aisle. Dressed shops, a thing of history. We will no longer practice marriage. Instead, we will, be, we, we will no longer be hitched to another because just like the angels in heaven, we will completely belong to the one for whom we were created. We will no longer practice this, this human tradition of hitching ourselves to one another because in that day, we will be perfectly united with Christ. You see, you have to understand, friends, church or church, marriage is a parable. Mar- marriage is a picture that points to something bigger and better than marriage itself. Marriage is an imperfect preview of the union awaiting us in heaven. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We call that marriage, or marriage, perhaps, right? This is an earthly thing. Man, woman, married. Well, why do we do that? That's an interesting tradition. What is that about, God? Why did you put that in the design? Well, let me tell you. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is a preview of the perfect that is to come. It's like my kids, my boys, they love watching movie trailers. Anybody with kids enjoy movie trailers? Like, so we'll spend our whole family movie night trying to choose a movie, but we never, we end up not watching a movie because we watch 14 movie trailers. Can we watch the trailer? And they love it. If you think about it, right, for little kids, it's more entertaining. You've got the music, the lightsabers. You get all the highlights of the movie. But there comes a point where I say to my kids, I go, listen, the, the, the trailer is cool, no doubt. The trailer is exciting, but the trailer is just giving you a taste of what's to come. Don't you want to watch the movie? Don't you want to experience what it's pointing to? No, play another trailer. <laughs> okay. My point is this. Marriage is a trailer. Marriage is a preview. Marriage is just a taste of something to come that is infinitely better, that is infinitely more satisfying. Your marriage on earth is a trailer. It is a preview that will one day end and will play the real movie. Jesus Christ, perfectly united to his bride. When we are present with Jesus, the preview will give way to the perfect. Sometimes that's a sad thought, isn't it? I was talking to my wife, and she goes, can we at least be roommates? The thought that we're not married in heaven makes her sad. Can we at least be neighbors? Can we, like, buy a townhome next to each other? And I'm like, babe, the Lord will let you live in my pool house, okay? Like, I did not say that. Your boy is smarter than that, all right? Listen, I know what I'm doing, I promise. Sometimes it's a sad thought, right? Sometimes marriage is so healthy and so rich and so life-giving that we go, man, This is temporary. 
then there's other times, friends, where this doctrine is a much needed perspective. Like sometimes it's helpful to be reminded that earthly marriage is temporary and you will one day be joined to your perfect spouse who will never hurt you who will never disappoint you, who will never sin against you. You're going to be married to a spouse who will never offend you, who will never betray you. Jesus Christ himself, you will be hitched with. It's perspective. It's perspective for my single friends. Friends, if you're in this room and you're single, there are times where you are tempted. You are tempted to think that marriage is the end-all, be-all of existence, right? Marriage is the end-all be-all. If I'm not married, what am I even doing with my life? You know, I used to pastor some young adults in, in the Northwest. There was a huge Russian population. Any Ruskies here? Okay, never mind. So, Northwest, right? Huge Russian population. And, and in the Russian culture, like, if you're a woman and you're not married by 19, what are you doing with your life? Right? And so I, maybe it's a little bit different here on the West Coast, where if you're married, or on the East Coast, you're married before the age of 30. And they go, don't you care about your career? Right? Somewhere in between, you know? But the point is, if you're single, what great perspective that we will one day do away with all these categories of married and single, right? Like, I remember when you're single and you're like, if I'm asked one more time if I'm married, next time somebody asks you if you're married or single, say, neither. I'm rolling like the angels in heaven, all right? Jesus gives us a new category of dating. I'm not married. I'm not single. I'm rolling like the angels in heaven. I am perfectly content in my union with Jesus Christ, and I am practicing what I'm going to do for all of eternity, Marriage, friends, is a parable. And it'll end. And so back to the question at hand about the afterlife, this is why Jesus said to them that they don't know the power of God. They reveal, they betray just how small their view of God is here by thinking that this hypothetical illustration is something God didn't think of. Like, think about what they're saying. They're thinking, they're saying that they've thought of a situation that would make God himself go, huh, didn't think of that. Man, back to the drawing board, Jesus. Man, seven? I only thought of one. What? Like, do, do you think about the arrogance? Of, like, of course there can't be a resurrection, because then what about this? And Jesus says, God's power and design for the world is bigger than what you can fathom. And so when you limit what is possible just because you can't think of it, you don't know the power of God. It's like when I was younger, I used to, one of my struggles with, with the afterlife, I used to think, so you mean to tell me, mom and dad, that all of the people on the planet who have ever lived in all human history are going to fit on one planet? Where are we going to have enough food for them? <laughs> as if God didn't make the planets, right? You get it? What we can imagine as possible is not the limitation for what is true. God is true, and we pursue truth. So they don't know the power of God. But he says there's a second reason why they're wrong. It says they also reveal just how little they know about the scriptures. He says, listen, if there's no resurrection, then the Old Testament doesn't make sense. And he goes, haven't you read? Jesus is getting a little snarky here, right? Oh, religious leaders, haven't you read? Of course they've read. But, you know, just let them have it. Haven't you read that passage in the Old Testament where God revealed himself in the bush to Moses, when he revealed himself, did he say, I'm the, I was the God of Abraham? Moses, nice to meet you. I used to be the God of Isaac. Yeah, in history, I was the God of Jacob. No, he says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Meaning, those dudes have not ceased to exist. Abraham has left the building. 
but he's still with me, and I'm his God. Isaac and Jacob are no longer in their fleshly bodies, but I still know them because they have discovered what we now know from 1 Corinthians 15. Look what it says. 1 Corinthians 15. No, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 5.8. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We know this. To be absent from the body means that we leave this fleshly tent. We temporarily vacate this tent, but we endure and we continue on, and forever we are with God. We're with God. Jesus is clear. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. You are quite wrong, Sadducees. In other words, Jesus is saying this to us. This life is not the end. This life, it's not the end. That's what Jesus says. That after we take our last breath in this life, we will inhale in another life. That after we close our eyes on this side, we will open our eyes on another side. He says, this life is not the end. Though our material and immaterial parts of our being may be temporarily separated at death, we will rise again. This life is not the end. Period. And so the the Sadducees, they thought that their illustration proved their point, didn't they? They thought they showed Jesus real good. Of course there's no resurrection. Look at my illustration. Well, how many of you know that Jesus would go on to give an illustration of his own? (laughs) Jesus would go on and he would prove his side. He would prove that there is a resurrection by rising from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Jesus didn't just rise from the dead. People saw him. There were witnesses. He was going all around the towns. And the very people who he showed himself to were still alive at the time of this writing. It's a bold move if you're lying. It's a bold move to publish document after document saying Jesus appeared to Peter and Peter is still alive to deny it. Saying, nah, that didn't happen, fam. I don't know what you were tripping on, but I did not see a resurrected man. No! He appeared. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, proving there is an afterlife. There is a resurrection. And not only did he rise from the dead, not only did he prove the resurrection, he invites us to experience resurrection with him. John 11, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? East Point Church, do you believe this? Do you believe that there's life on the other side? Do you believe that Jesus Christ himself, who already showed us that he can defeat death, invites us to be with him? Do you believe this? What do you believe? Do you believe that there is a day coming where we will all stand before God and he, in his perfect justice, will right every wrong? 
that he in his perfect justice, he will give every action that was evil what it deserves. I personally take great comfort in the idea of the wrath of God. I go, yes, there's a day coming where people will get what they deserve. There's a day coming where every sin will be paid for. Every injustice will be righted. I'm like the front of the line for team justice. Injustices, get them. Until I realize that on his list of injustices is Sam Cassis. <laughs> and I want him to give people what they deserve. I want him to right the wrongs. I want the bad guys to pay. And then I realize that my name is on the bad guy list. Do you believe that though your name is on the bad guy list, do you believe that though you are going to stand before the perfect justice of God one day, do you believe that God is so gracious and merciful that he offered to stand in your place? That Jesus came and he said, though you sin, though you deserve to die, all who follow me shall never die. Do you believe that Jesus is so full of grace and mercy that he invites us to come and follow him so that in him we will not experience the death that our souls deserve? We're all going to die once, but we don't need to experience the second death where our souls are cast apart from the presence of God for all of eternity, an existence that the Bible calls hell. Do you believe that God, do you dare to believe that God is so gracious that he makes a way for us to be with him? that we will not experience the second death. We will not experience the consequences that we deserve. Though our sins be written on the wall, though our stain be as scarlet as blood, there's no condemnation. And I will spend eternity with Jesus, not because I'm the man, but because Jesus is. Not because I deserve it, but because Jesus did. Not because I'm spotless, but because Jesus was spotless. And then he gave me his record. I just imagine walking through heaven one day, looking around like, and they say, how did you get in? Like, I know, crazy, right? But listen, it was wild. Jesus, he just invited me to come. And I followed him and I, and I declared him to be the Lord of my life. And I didn't live for, for the kingdom of darkness. I lived for the kingdom of light by his spirit who was in me. He didn't just tell me what to do. He empowered me to do it. It's crazy, I know. There's no condemnation. Friends, this life is not the end. We're going to live with Jesus forever. Do you believe this? Lord, we just thank you so much, God. You've given us these brains. You've put these questions in our heart, Lord. You've wired us in such a way to look at the stars and to contemplate ultimate reality and existence. And as we do, you don't leave us to our own devices. You actually speak to us. You answer the very questions that you planted in our hearts and minds. And as we pursue your truth, Lord, we just want to say we are grateful. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for showing us truth. Thank you for leading us. And thank you for Jesus. God, where would I be without your son? Where would I be without your tremendous grace and forgiveness? Where would I spend my eternity if it were not for your perfect mercy? And so thank you, Lord, that this life is not the end. We look forward to the day where we will rise just as Christ did, and forever we will be with the Lord. Lord, I just want to lift up my friends here who are still asking those questions, Lord, and they're, they're still on their journey. Thank you that they're here. Would you bless their pursuit of truth? Would you touch their heart and their mind? Open their eyes that they may behold wonderful things from your revelation, God as they engage with you, as they 
engage in this community with friends and talk about real issues, Lord. Show them truth, I pray. Save them, give them your spirit so that they would not just know about you, but they would follow you for the rest of their lives and for all of eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.